John chapter 11. This is my favorite funeral text. But this is, uh, this is a chapter in John that discusses with us the death, death of Lazarus, the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that Jesus gives us hope in this life and in the next. And then, of course, there's that nasty section where people don't like what he's saying or doing, and so they plot to kill him. So let's jump right in, in chapter 11, verse 9 and following. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now Bethany is only a couple of miles from Jerusalem. If you walk out of the city of Jerusalem in Jesus' day, if you'd have done that, you'd have walked down into the Kidron Valley and up over the top of the Mount of Olives. And right on the other side of the Mount of Olives was the little town of Bethany. This is where Jesus came. When he came to Jerusalem, this is where he would stay. He would stay with his friends, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So you get the connection right off the bat. So the sisters sent to him, by the way, Jesus is out of town. He's really not close by. He is a couple of days' journey away. But the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, what I want to do is I want to trace some of these statements that we hear from people in John chapter 11, because they no doubt speak for a lot of people. And when the sisters say, Lord, behold, he whom you have love is sick. I get the impression <clears throat> that what is happening here is that the sisters are somehow hoping and assuming that if Jesus loves us, we won't get sick. <coughs> I've already, <clears throat> I've already ruined my voice, I think. But that's a misunderstanding. When the sisters say, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick, you and I need to understand that God's love for us is no guarantee that we won't get sick. God's love for us is no guarantee that we won't run into problems in this life. God's love for us is no guarantee that we won't have challenges, that we won't have setbacks that we won't have to deal with difficult situations. And that's important for us to know. Because even at my age, and I should know better, often when something bad happens to me, I say, why me, Lord? I've been serving you. I think I've been faithful. I know you love me. What a misunderstanding. I think we can identify with these sisters. And when Jesus heard that, did he rush Right to the little town of Bethany, the Bible says, he said to his disciples, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God and the Son of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God has a purpose and a plan sometimes is way above ours. God has a, person, a purpose and a plan for us that 
He is always going to work out in spite of everything that we face in this life. And I can read here that Jesus is kind of uh, looking forward to showing the glory of the Father in this sickness. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he rushed right over to Bethany. Is that what it says? No. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. It had to get a little worse for Lazarus before it got better. God's plan was that Lazarus would die before Jesus would go to the city of Bethany. And so Jesus obviously waited for that to happen. In verse 7, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now it's time for us to go up to the city, the town of Bethany. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Now you and I know that Jesus was well received by people for the first year of his ministry, but during the second year of his ministry, there were a lot of people who started to change their mind Mostly religious leaders who were jealous, who were envious, who saw Jesus as a threat. And so they start talking and getting people all riled up and people all excited in the wrong way. And on many occasions, not just one, not just two, but on many occasions, Jesus was almost stoned and often very severely ridiculed. And so the disciples say, Lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus says this very deep statement, and it's very important for us to understand this. The disciples may be hoping that Jesus will wait until things settle down. The disciples may be hoping that Jesus will wait until the obstacle that they see that's right in front of them will go away. Well, Lord, let's just wait until it's a better time. Let's just wait until situation improves. But Jesus answered and said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, this is a pretty deep statement, and there are other passages of Scripture that would take us into thinking of this in a, in a, in a, in a, in a deeper way. But let me just simply say to you at this point that what Jesus is saying to his disciples, because remember, Jesus has said to them, listen, I'm here, and as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. When I'm gone, then you're going to have to deal with some darkness, and so Jesus said, there are 12 hours in the day. It's extremely important that we work during the daylight. So the implication is that we need to respond in the day regardless of the circumstances. We need to respond when the opportunities are given to us to respond. To the preacher, the Bible says, preach the word in season and out of season. Preach it when everybody is okay with what you're saying. Preach it when nobody's okay with what you're saying. But continue to preach it. 
We live in a day and age when it's important for us to understand that. We like to, uh, we like to avoid conflict and we like to avoid situations where we don't have any problems whatsoever doing what we're doing. We love that. But the Bible doesn't say that we're supposed to only serve the Lord, only respond to circumstances if everything is okay. God doesn't say that. And so in verse 12, the Bible says that his disciples then said, well, Lord, uh, well, then he says, listen, in verse 11, these things he said to them, and he said this to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, and I want to go and wake him up. And you know what happens next. You know that the disciples misunderstand that statement. They misunderstand it royally. Now, you and I know that misunderstandings can cause the greatest problems that we face in relationships, right? Misunderstandings. How many times have you said, oh, I didn't know you meant that. Oh, I didn't realize that was the situation. Oh, I thought I heard you correctly, but I didn't. You see, and I'm sorry about that. Oh, what did you really mean by that? And even in the life of Jesus, we find that there are lots of misunderstandings. Here in John, you'll remember that Christ's bodily temple was confused with the earthly temple. Remember? Back in John chapter 2, the new birth was confused with physical birth in Nicodemus' case. The water of life was confused with physical water. And we have many examples of people misunderstanding, especially the words of Jesus. Jesus says he's sleeping. He's not acting like there's anything to worry about. He's not acting like it's a bit difficult situation to deal with. And so the disciples say, well, you know, if he's getting rest, I mean, when you're sick and you're ill, and um, you, you, a lot of times you just can't get any sleep, you can't get any rest. And the disciples were thinking, well, if he is sleeping, then everything's going to be okay. He's going to get better. He's well. He's improving. And Jesus then, what did Jesus have to do in verse 13 and following? Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. And Jesus said to them plainly, well, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now, we don't want to stop and deal with that, but let's go move on to the next statement here that's given by Thomas, who no doubt speaks for a lot of people. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. After all, people are after you, Jesus, so certainly they're going to be after us. They hate you, they're going to hate us. They want to get you out of the way, so they're probably going to want to get us out of the way. So let us also go that we may die with him. Now, I don't know what to make of this. I really don't. I don't know if he's being sarcastic, or I don't know if he truly believes that this, the best thing for us to do is support Jesus in this conflict that he's going to have once he gets to Bethany, which is only a couple of miles from Jerusalem, and that's too close. And so Jesus came. He found that he had died. Lazarus had already been in the tomb how many days? Four. Four. 
four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, you know other things about Mary and Martha, right? You know, for instance, that they entertained Jesus, and we have one example of actually how it went in the book of Luke, where Mary and Martha were entertaining Jesus for a meal, and Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to everything Jesus had to say, and Martha had gone to the store, she had prepared the meal, she was in the kitchen working, and she got upset with the fact that Mary was not helping her, ran into the living room and said, Jesus, would you tell Mary to help me in the kitchen? Well, this is that same Martha. And Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went out to meet him a little distance away from Bethany. They were getting word, how close is Jesus? Where is Jesus? Is he, is he, is he nearby now? And when they heard he was close, Martha goes out to meet Jesus a little distance away from the village and Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, isn't that just how we think? Isn't that just how we respond? As if the presence of Jesus would have prevented the storm when the disciples were in the boat. <laughs> Remember, Jesus was asleep as if that would have happened or that Jesus would have healed Lazarus right on the spot. Oh, if only you would have been here. How many times have you said, oh, if only I would have been there. Only if things had been different. Only if I would have done this instead of done that. You see, this is the way the human mind thinks, but you and I must understand that the answer to that question would have been, no, Lazarus would still have died if Jesus would have been there. How do you know, Pastor? The plan had already been put in motion. Jesus already determined what he was going to do. When Lazarus is sick, he says, I'm going to wait until it goes a step further because my ultimate plan here is to raise Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine what it might have been like if Jesus would have been there and Mary and Martha would have been saying, come on, Jesus, help him out, please. And Jesus would have said, well, make him comfortable and uh, we'll, uh, we'll wait a little while yet. Now, there's another side of this coin that's very important for us to understand. Do you remember in, um, you remember in the Bible, and not only elsewhere, in Matthew, for instance, we have the centurion servant who does this, but in John, in this very book, in chapter 4, we have the nobleman who does this about his son. He, wants, he goes to Jesus, he asks Jesus to come and heal his son, and Jesus doesn't come at all. He doesn't come at all. Jesus says, go, 
Go home. Your son's going to be okay. Your son's going to be okay. In John chapter 4, verse 46 and 54, did the nobleman do exactly what Jesus asked him to do? Yes, because the nobleman knew that Jesus didn't have to be there in order for his son to be raised up. And the centurion in Matthew chapter 8 knew that too. He says to Jesus, listen, my servant, we, he needs you. He needs you. And Jesus says, well, I'm on my way. And he says, no, 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 no. My house isn't presentable. We have, we have different rules as Roman leaders. And I don't think you'd be impressed with how I handle things at my house. And so Jesus says, okay, go home. And when he went home and they checked the time out, everything happened exactly the way Jesus said about the time that Jesus was dealing with those who needed to be healed. Well, is there any difference for us today? Jesus doesn't have to be personally here in order for us to be healed, does he? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. His physical presence is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. His spiritual presence is everywhere because he is God. Because he is God. Well, let's, let's, let's move on. I'm going to skip over Martha's comments for just a moment. I'm going to make a quick application in a couple of minutes. But what I want to do is I want us to jump down to verse 31. Um, Jesus deals with Martha's situation. I think that's going to be the icing on the cake. But then there's Mary to deal with as well. So the Bible says that Martha says to Mary in verse 28 that the teacher has come and is calling for you, Mary. I've already seen him. You're sitting here in the house. I don't know what she was mad at. I don't know what she was disappointed about. I don't know why she didn't get up and run to Jesus. Maybe she expected more. Maybe because she sat at Jesus' feet. Maybe she expected, she can't believe that the Lord had brushed this whole situation off. You see what I'm saying? But anyway, when Mary comes to her and says, the teacher has come and is calling for you, as soon as she heard that, she, ran, she got up, and she went out, because Jesus is still not in town, went out to the place where Jesus was, and guess what she says to Jesus in verse 31? The Jews thought she was going to go to the tomb and that she was going to weep there. So the Jews, you know, we have an indication that she is just, she is beside herself. We have an indication that she is mourning. She's deeply upset. She's deeply saddened by everything that's happened. But she goes straight to Jesus and fell down at his feet. And what does she say to him in verse 32? Everybody look at it. What does she say? <laughs> Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Very same thing. I remember being in missions class at Faith Theological Seminary. And our professor was actually the director of the Independent Board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions. And she was, he was talking about the care packages that missionaries in Africa would get. And they had a medical facility there. And they didn't have a lot of equipment. But one day, 
one day a box comes and in that box is medical equipment and, uh, and they just, it, medical equipment for a heart, like a defibrillator or something or whatever it was. And they set it aside and they said, we're never going to use this here. We're never going to use this here. So they put it off to the side. And two days later, one of the missionaries had a heart attack. And the equipment was there. And the equipment was used to bring her back from her heart attack. Listen, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died? (laughs) That's so human. I think since we have it twice, let's all... Let's all acknowledge the fact that we know it happens to us in one way or another. Amen? Amen. Amen. So therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Now he knows what he's going to do, but this whole situation affects him as well. And he's saddened by the fact that everyone is saddened. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, well, Lord, come and see where we've laid him. And the Bible says the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept in verse 35. And when the Jews said this, saw this, they said, oh, look at this. This guy really loves Lazarus. You always have two groups of people. Some respond in a more positive way. Some respond in a more negative way. Always be aware of that. Always be aware that when you are dealing with a group of people, you're going to have pessimists and optimists. They're there. They're there. And so these Jews are focusing on the fact that the Lord really loved Lazarus. But in verse 37, some of them said, what does it say? Everybody together, look at it. Let's read it together. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Who on earth is he? He can't even keep his friend from dying. Well, the answer to that question was, the answer to that question is, could he have not kept this man from dying? The answer to that question is yes, yes. And it's not a question of power. It's a question of God's plan and God's purpose. And you know, sometimes we need to align up with God's plan and purpose whether we want to or not because it's going to be the best. And God's going to do something uh, with it. He's, uh, there's just, just so many little human elements in this passage of Scripture that can help us. I said, someone said to me one time, someone said to me one time, well, that didn't work out for the Lord, so I guess he's going to go to plan B. And I'm immediately thinking about the attributes of God and thinking, well, God is immutable. He's unchangeable. And I thought, does God really have a plan B? Or is it always plan A? We have plan Bs. We have plan Cs. We have plan Ds. But God really doesn't have a plan B. He has a plan A. And he's going to accomplish his plan. The best illustration I give to you is the fact that he created this world. He created it very good. He created this world for us to live on forever and ever and ever and ever. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve messed it up. And because Adam and Eve messed it up, we're messing it up. We're making it really, really bad. We do it all the time. Uh, it's a never-ending process for us to just uh, trash the earth. And I, don't mean, I, I mean in a spiritual way. But God didn't say, I'm going to go to plan B. 
Plan A is that we're going to live on this earth forever and ever. New heaven and a new earth. And God is just overriding the plans of man. He's overriding the mistakes of man. And ultimately, he's accomplishing plan A. So anyway, the passage of Scripture continues. I... Um, I want to go back now very quickly to Martha. I want to skip over a couple of the other statements, but I want to go back to Martha for just a moment, and I want you to see her response to Jesus when she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, verse 21. But it's almost like she's catching herself and saying, well, listen, I, I, I believe more about this than what I've just said. But even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Whatever the Father, you ask the Father for, He is going to answer your prayer. Do you think there's ever been a prayer that Jesus has ever prayed that has never been answered? Seriously, think about it. Do you think? that there's ever been a prayer that Jesus has prayed that God has not answered. I'll give you one I think is obvious. Most of us don't think of this one. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and He says to all of the crowd that's in Jerusalem, He says to His heavenly Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, most of us will look and say, well, Jesus is just asking the Father to overlook the fact that this is human nature, this is what happens, and... Father, please don't hold this against them. But the biggest, biggest evangelistic service of that day occurred on how many days later? Pentecost. When 3,000 people were saved in the city of Jerusalem. And other thousands later on. I don't know about you, but to me, that seems like an obvious answer to the Lord's Prayer. But anyway, Jesus, even when He's at the tomb, you'll remember in John chapter 11, even at the tomb, He says a prayer. He says, Father, I thank You that You have heard me, and I know that You always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that You sent me. And I'm really doing this for Martha's sake as well. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Now, I love this passage of Scripture, and it's my favorite sermon outline because of what Jesus says to Martha. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know. She believes in Resurrection Day. I know that he's going to rise again on Resurrection Day. And Jesus is in effect saying, now listen, let me give you the theology of life and death here. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Physical body will be raised again. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die spiritual, the, the spirit or the soul goes immediately to be with heaven. It doesn't die. It does not die. There's a temporary separation between the body and the soul or spirit, and the Bible says you and I who are trusting Christ never need to worry about death. 
Christ conquers it completely, wholly. It may be our last enemy, but Christ conquers it. I am the resurrection and the life. Put your name there where it says he. Put your name. Geary, if you believe in me, though you may die, you shall live. And Geary, if you live and believe in me, you shall never die. And number three, Geary, do you believe this? I do. I do. I do. Well, we'll have to stop there. There are some very interesting statements to follow. We can't get into them today, and um, it would be impossible. But let me simply say this to you. If, if Christ conquers death, if Christ conquers death, then I think uh, Winston Churchill was kind of right when he prepared his funeral. And some of you have heard this illustration. Sometimes I use it at a committal service. But I think Winston Churchill was right. He loved the Lord. He believed in the Lord. And when he was preparing for his funeral, he said, it's going to be in St. Paul's Cathedral, this big rotunda, this big second-story balcony up there. He says, I want you to put a bunch of trumpeters over here on this side and get them ready to play Reveille. And I want you to get a bunch of trumpeters, and I want you to put them on this side, and I want you to get them to ready to play Taps. And everybody thought they knew what he meant. But he said, now listen, I want taps played first and Reveille played second. Because taps is what's happening right now. Reveille is going to follow. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement this passage of Scripture is to us. How we get lost in our human way of thinking. But we thought. But we thought. But we think. Lord, straighten out our thinking. And Father, encourage us with the truth that you, Lord Jesus, conquer death. In your precious name we pray. Amen.